So as we dive in here this morning, we move it into chapter 5. It probably gets to address freedom, what it is to live in that freedom that we have in Christ and what that looks like and, and, and how we can do that. And so let's jump right in there in verse 1. He says, for freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. It is for freedom that Christ has set you free. It is for freedom that you can live free from sin. It is for freedom that you can be freed from the rigors of ceremony and sacrifice found under the law. It is for freedom from the law of sin and death that Christ has set you free. It is for freedom to live a life like Christ, becoming more and more like Him through the work of the Holy Spirit that Christ has set you free. And if Christ has done the work to set you free in this manner, stand firm in that freedom and do not be swayed by the words of misguided leaders. Do not submit yourself again to the yoke of slavery, slavery to the law. If Christ has set you free, don't go back. The POW who's released from the encampment doesn't turn right back around and go back through the gates. Don't go back to the enslavement of the law. For freedom, Christ has set you free. Verse 2, look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. To accept circumcision is to say that I must be circumcised to be right with God. I must be circumcised to be saved. Sorry, it's, you guys are hearing that. Uh, I must be circumcised to be saved. And Jesus is not enough. Right? And that's what he's saying. When, when you say uh, that, that to receive circumcision, that I must be circumcised to be right with Christ, you're taking it off of the work that Christ has done. And on to the work that you can do for yourself. And he says, when you do that, you come under back under the entire law to have to uphold that which we know cannot be done. And he says, any man who accepts circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. And that, that is, he's going to talk a bit later, that's the offense of the cross, right? That's the offense of the cross is that Jesus says, it is done and there is nothing you have to do except to receive that free gift of salvation. But man wants to say, no, there's got to be more. There's got to be something I have to do. And these teachers of the law said, we've been doing things our entire life to uphold this law, to do these things. So how in the world could you say we don't have to do any of that anymore and that what was done on the cross was enough? They're offended by that. And he says, if you choose to be circumcised and you choose to say that is where my faith lies and that that I believe that I can't come to Christ, I can't come to know God, I can't be right with God unless I'm circumcised, and you've severed yourself from Christ. You've said this was not really what it takes. This is not enough. He says, don't come back to putting yourself under the bondage of the law to have to uphold all those things right here, right here. The work of Jesus Christ in love and his sacrifice and resurrection is all that is needed. 
is all that it takes. You've severed yourself from Christ. You would be justified by the law. You've fallen away from that grace. To accept circumcision is to say, I must be circumcised. I must be circumcised to be right with God. And the cross was not enough. You're putting your faith back into the work you have done for salvation. Not of the work Christ has done on the Christ. He's of no advantage to you. The very thing that Jesus came to deliver us from, right? He said, I did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. Right? And through that fulfillment to set us free from the bondage of sin and death that is through the law. The very thing that he came to set you free from, you are running back to. Stand firm, therefore, in the faith. Stand firm, therefore, in the freedom that has been given to you. And don't be swayed. Don't be swayed by this misguided leader. Now, there are obvious examples of this for people, right? The guy who says, well, I've heard about that Jesus and he sounds pretty good. And I, but before I could ever come to him or ever come to church, I got to clean some things up in my own life. Right? Or if this God is supposed to know everything that's ever been done. If he must know what I've done, there's no way he would ever want me. There's no way he'd ever save me. There's no way I could ever darken the doors of a church because of the life I've lived. Right? And we've seen those examples. We've had those conversations. We've talked to those people. And we see it there very obviously. But there's another piece here that I think is a threat to the church a bit. And to me, it's a, it's a bigger threat because it's much more subtle. And actually, oftentimes, it is veiled in the attempt towards righteousness, in the attempt towards being pleasing to God. And that is the struggle of legalism. The legalism can find its way to the church with good intentions, but can begin to break down the fellowship of the people, begin to hinder the witness of those people. And so I want to talk about that just for a minute. R.C. Sproul uh, kind of puts legalism into, into three categories. And the first two categories are pretty close to each other, so we'll hit those quickly. The first category, he says, is the people who, who obey a law just because it's a law. If that's the rule, we're going to do it. And so should you. Right? There's no, there's, there's no desire for relationship. There's no love, no joy, no peace to come out of those things. But if it's a law, it's a law. You better follow the law. And the next person who's similar to that says, if it's a law, I'm going to follow the law, but they miss the spirit of the law. They miss, they miss the purpose for that law. They just say, well, we just got to do it. And one of those places you can see that in Scripture is when Jesus is ridiculed and confronted by the Pharisees for healing on the Sabbath. Right? They came to him and he, he, he healed a withered hand, he healed some people. And, and they said, what are, you, what are you doing? You're healing on the Sabbath. You're working on the Sabbath. You're breaking our laws around the Sabbath. What are you doing? And Jesus comes back to them. And he says, which one of you, if an ox or your son fell into a well, would not pull him out on that day? Which one of you, each of you, goes to your manger, unties your animals, and brings them to water on the Sabbath? Is it better to do good or evil on the Sabbath. And these questions that he asks them, he challenges them because they have missed the spirit of the law. 
The law was there that God said the Sabbath is for rest, is for his people to come and rest for the non-essential things of life, to gather, to recoup, and to be ready to go into the next week. And they, in their zealousness to not break God's law, had established all these other commands around it that they were treating as God's law and saying, you, you know, you can't carry something further than six feet in public. You can't walk further than this. You can't, you can't, you can't, you can't. And they begin to try to micromanage what does it look like to keep the Sabbath and put all these rules into place. But they themselves would give liberties around those that our animals need water. So, of course, that's not work. You can do that. Or did, and he says, who? No. The law itself was to remember the Sabbath and to keep it holy. And the spirit of that was for your people to rest. And you have distorted that through all of these extra things you've put around it. And they missed the spirit, the purpose of the law. But then also I think you see in here the final one that R.C. Sproul brings up and that I think is the most dangerous is that they added rules to protect God's law, but they began to treat them as law themselves, as divine law. And oftentimes this can creep into the church in, in an attempt to, 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 to be righteous and to uphold the things of God. And, and perhaps for, for our own selves and knowing our own habits and knowing our own tendencies, we put something in place for ourselves that we then begin to judge others by. That we then begin to, to hold against someone if they don't do it the way that we do. And again, this attempt for righteousness, this attempt to be pleasing to God, it is grown into a place of legalism in our own belief and in our own churches. Sproul writes about it in this way. He says, the, most, the third is the most prominent dangerous in the church. Many people think that the essence of Christianity is following the right rules, even rules that are extra biblical. For example, the Bible doesn't say that we can't play cards or have a glass of wine with dinner. As we all know, there were some denominations that said, the Bible says don't get drunk, so if you drink any alcohol, you're breaking God's or you're not following him closely. He says, that's not what it says. We can't make these matters the external test of authentic Christianity. That would be a deadly violation of the gospel because it would substitute human tradition for the real fruit of the Spirit. We come perilously close to blasphemy by misrepresenting Christ in this way. Where God is given liberty, we should never enslave people with man-made rules. We must be careful to fight this form of legalism. The gospel calls men to repentance, holiness and godliness because of this the world finds the gospel offensive but woe to us if we add unnecessarily to that offense by distorting the true nature of christianity by combining it with legalism because christianity is concerned with morality righteousness and ethics we can easily make that subtle move from a passionate concern for godly morality into legalism if we are not careful And the final piece, the final threat of legalism that, that, that I believe is there is, is just in those times as, as we begin to take those rules and those things that we've put into place and to treat them at the same level of God's law. And we saw the Pharisees do this. We begin to judge others by that. We begin to hold them to that standard. And in the midst of that, pride has an opportunity to well up inside of us. Oh, God, look at all the things I'm doing, and I'm doing it pretty good. I know you're pretty happy you saved me, but that guy, you might be on the fence because he's not doing the things I do. He's not doing it the way I do it. 
He's not following the rules that I've put into place. And, and again, it begins to creep in and, and pride begins to take hold. It begins to create fractions within the church, fractions within the worship of his people. And just as Paul talks about a little bit, we will too in 15, the backbiting will begin to consume one another. And so these people have returned to this place of legalism saying that we want to be under the law and there's these legalistic things, these external things that you must do before you can be considered right with God, before you can even come to Christ. And he says, no. Legalism is not why you were set free. It is for freedom Christ has set you free. It's a dangerous trap. Paul said, when you accept circumcision as being needed for salvation, you are now bound to the law. You're living under that legalism, not in the redeeming grace of Christ and his work on the cross. So we move into verse 5. He says, For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. And so this hope of righteousness, they're waiting for it by the Spirit through faith, through the Spirit by faith, is, uh, is the righteousness of Christ's return. But he establishes his righteous kingdom here on earth. We are righteous when we are in Christ, right? We were told that. We stand in that. We believe in that right today that we've been made righteous. We are redeemed in Christ. And Paul says we eagerly await that moment when Christ establishes his kingdom on this earth and righteousness is there and sin is no more. By faith, we anxiously anticipate that day to come. He says... Circumcision or uncircumcision, it counts for nothing. The outward physical works of man have no influence on our salvation and the internal work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. He says it doesn't matter one or the other. There's freedom in that. It has no effect on you. Only faith in Jesus Christ through his love is where salvation is found. Verse 7, you are running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view. And the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But I, brothers, still preach circumcision. Oh, wait, that's, read that again. But I, brothers, but if I, brothers, that if is a key word, sorry. But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who unsettled you would just emasculate themselves. He's saying you were doing well when I left. You were trusting in Christ and you were saying he's the only thing needed for salvation and you were there. Now, Gentiles, Galatians, what has, who has dissuaded you? What has thrown you off course? Because clearly that is not from the Father. That is not from God. He says, what's happened? Then he comes back to his confidence in God and in his sovereignty. He says, but I have confidence in the Lord that his truth will prevail and the church will stand for what is true. And I have confidence in the Lord that the one who is teaching this false doctrine will be held accountable by God for what he is doing. And then we're going to skip verse 11 and go to verse 12, which is kind of the, the whoa verse in this whole passage, right? He says in a verse, Paul says, I wish that the guy who's so zealous to be circumcised would take that knife and that zealousness upon himself and just emasculate himself and just be done. 
right? And in that, there's different interpretations. There's other versions that will say cut off. And the idea being that one, in the Old Testament, if there was uh, mutilation or emasculation, that they were removed from the camp, but also here, that they would be cut off from the church and that their influence within this body would be gone. And we look at that and we go, wow, Paul, that is very strong language that you chose to put right there. But I want to ask you, church, do we approach hypocrisy in our own lives or in the church and heresy with the same zealousness? Because that's what I see in the words of Paul right there is a zealousness for his people and for the truth. He says, I wish he would just get out of here. Do we do the same when we see it creeping into our own lives? Or in those God's called us to minister to and there's, a, there's an untruth that's finding its way in there. Do we attack it in some way and say, no, the truth of God needs to be proclaimed and protected. And is there a zealousness in us? to do that. Scott talked about it uh, a few few weeks ago. And this is, as he begins to talk about a, few, a little bit of leaven, leaven's the whole of, you know, we as elders were having that conversation of, of society and culture has gone a thousand steps that way away from the word of God and the truth of God. And what we see sometimes is, is, is churches say, well, if, if culture and society is way over there, then maybe we're okay to go five steps over there to be a little more relevant and a little more uh, to, to fit in there. And, and then if this church says, well, we can go five steps, and that church says, well, if they went five steps, maybe we can go five steps. And if they say, well, they went five steps, maybe we can go two steps more. And if they're willing to go those two steps more, maybe we can go two steps more. And it begins to affect not only the one body, but the body and the church in general. And as we know as believers, the word of God is the word of God and the truth is the truth. It is not swayed by culture and we as a church and as a people should not even go half a step. Even if the world has gone 10,000, we stand true to the word of God. And are we zealous in that? That phrases like, I wish they would just cut themselves off flow out of our lips, maybe. Maybe we don't want to go that far. But do we have that same zealousness to protect it and to stand firm in the truth? And to have confidence that God will defend it and he will bring judgment upon those who distort it. And then we get into verse 11. Paul says, But if I, brother, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. So Paul's building his case here because they were part of the, the, the persuasion of the, the leaders. Where, well, Paul had Timothy circumcised. Of course he's, he's preaching circumcision, and you guys should too. And Paul says, look, the fact that they are still persecuting me should be proof to you that I don't preach that. Because the moment that I preach that, the offense of the cross that says you have to do nothing except receive the free gift of salvation, the minute I don't preach that anymore, the offense is gone. And they're going to say, good job, Paul. Thank you for preaching what we're preaching. Thanks for supporting what we're saying that it's partly on man. That you have to uphold the Jewish law to then get to the cross. He says, if that was the case, why am I still being persecuted? Why were you persuaded by that? Of course I'm not preaching circumcision. The fact that I'm still being persecuted should prove that to you. And I know, I know Scott talked about it a little bit, but I want to come back to it because... Uh, and talk a little bit about where uh, John Piper goes when he talks about this particular verse and that 
They would also say that Paul was, was contradicting himself, right? Because it acts, and excuse me, in Galatians 2, we see that he told Titus not to be circumcised. He said, don't you dare. And then in Acts 16, we see that he had Timothy circumcised. And they're saying, which one is it, Paul? Look, Paul is preaching that, and look what he's doing. And what I, as Piper talks about this, and, and as we see it, we begin to see the freedom in Christ lived out right here in Paul's life. Because here's how that was approached to what Paul was looking at. As he came to Titus, he said, you are a Gentile. You've never been circumcised. You're not Jewish. You're not any of those things. So don't you dare be circumcised to try to prove yourself right for the cross of Christ. The cross of Christ is enough. You don't need it. There's no purpose for that in your life. And so he said, no. When he came to Timothy, Timothy, who was born to a Jewish mother and a Greek father, so the Greek father allowed, didn't want him to be circumcised. But he was raised as a Jewish boy and respected by those leaders. And that was the people he was coming back to share the gospel with. And Paul said, if you are not circumcised, it will be a stumbling block for the gospel proclamation in their lives. So yes, you should be, not for yourself, but for them. Not for your own salvation, but for those whom God has called you to bring salvation and the gift of salvation to you through Jesus Christ. And that is the freedom that we are talking about. It is for freedom that Christ has set you free. Freedom to choose for Titus, no. And to choose for Timothy, yes. Not because it's anything upon you, but upon those whom you are going to minister to. It is for freedom that Christ has set you free. Paul didn't contradict himself. He lived out the very thing he's trying to call them to be. And I just love that picture as Paul's proclaiming this and saying, you guys, you guys, who's, who's pulled you away from this truth? Who's distracted you? The cross of Christ is enough. Don't come back. Don't come back. to the law, to the bondage of legalism. And we get into verse 13. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. And that there in verse 15, as he talks about, if you, as, as you bite and devour one another, as you backstab, as you pass judgment upon one another, as you, as you say, this guy's not as good as me, is that, that pride begins to well up and you, you begin to bite one another. You devour the witness of each. You devour the witness of the church as they see you fighting. And we're distracted by these things and miss what God has called us to in serving one another. He says, don't let that backbiting of that with one another devour you, devour your witness and who God's called you to be. He goes, you were called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. And that's a real possibility, right? We've been set free from the law of sin and death. But it doesn't mean that we are set free from all moral restraint right but someone can take that approach and say well i'm free from the law i'm forgiven i'm just gonna go do whatever i want 
And some people try to define freedom as doing whatever they want, whatever they want. But there's consequences to such things. And he says, don't let your freedom be an open door for the flesh. Don't have that response that I'm just going to go do. I, the law doesn't apply to me and I'm free to go. But that is one option that is there, the self-focused response. Or there is also the kingdom-focused response. The Christ-centered focused response that says, God has set me free from the law of sin and death so that I may serve as Christ has served. I may choose not to sin. I may choose righteousness for the pursuit. And I may choose to allow the Holy Spirit to work in me and the fruit of the Spirit to come and have fruition in my life that these things of the flesh fade away. Though the temptations may be there, the strength and the freedom that I have is not to choose those things. And those are the two responses. And, and I want to share something, uh, an example from you from this week. And uh, maybe because I've been thinking a lot about it, it might make more sense to me than it does to you, but I'm going to try. So um, just hang in there with me. So this past week, we had two days uh, here at the school with the building of the new gym that we allowed families to come and write scriptures on the studs of the gym and to pray over the gym so that there's the word of God at the foundation of everything we do. Now, prior to those two days, there was no freedom for any family to step foot into the gym because it's still a construction zone. You have to wear, they had to wear hard hats just to get out there this past week. There's guys 30 feet up in the air working on things that they could drop things. It's dangerous. And so there's been no freedom for them to come into the gym. But on these two days, they were given the freedom to be in there. And now there are two responses that they could have, right? One could say, I have freedom to be in the gym. Great, that means I can go wherever I want, however I want, whatever I want here in this gymnasium. And so I'm going to walk over here, I'm going to walk over there, I'm going to bump into the, to the workers, I'm going to climb their ladders, I'm going to mess with their stuff, and I'm just going to be everywhere. <clears throat> that was one option of a response. Praise the Lord, nobody had that response. Thank you, Jesus. But that was one option. But the other option is prior to them getting there, the families coming in, we talked with the superintendent and said, okay, where are the safe places for the people to come and write? And he said, okay, we, these are the areas. And so we put up some tape and some barriers and said, okay, as long as you stay within these boundaries, you are free to go anywhere in here you want. Write on any stud, pray over any room, you have freedom. And so the other option was for them to choose to say, I have liberty and the freedom to go anywhere in here within these parameters that have been set. And by doing so, I have the option to stay as long as I want, to write as many scriptures as I want on these walls, to pray over this building as long as I would like, to sit and look and be in awe at what God is doing in this place and His great provision as long as I want, to worship Him in this moment right here as long as I want, as I stayed within these parameters. And I want to ask you, which one had the stronger witness to the workers who were there? Would the one running, messing with them, going up their ladders, distracting them while they're up 30 feet in the air, that they drop something, is that the person that they're going to go, man, I want to be like them? Probably not, right? But the ones who gathered and they, and they saw them holding hands and bowing their hands together as a family to pray and saw them writing on those studs that later on when everybody was gone and they walked by and read, Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Or they see Romans 8, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Which one had the better witness, do you think? Which one had the more freedom to speak 
truth and for it to be heard in how they acted. You see, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. It is in the midst of the freedom that we find, the liberty that we find. Staying with those parameters, God's law is perfect and there are things there that he's called us to, right? And as we live our freedom within the midst of those parameters, then we are able to love one another and to serve and to spread the kingdom message, the gospel of Jesus Christ for those to hear. And I saw that there. His people wrote on the walls and as they, as they shared scripture, we had one dad come in and, and he started writing and then he kept writing. And the next thing you know, he was squatting like this writing and then he was sitting on the floor and he was still writing. And, and when he finally finished, I went over, I said, man, I'm so glad we chose two by six construction or else you'd have had to write this entire wall to get your scripture up there. And he said, I know. He said, well, my daughter couldn't be here this week. But she said, Dad, will you please write the entire entirety of Psalms 27 on there for me? That's my favorite verse. I read it every day. I love it. It brings me encouragement. And I really want it to be on those studs of the gym. And so he, serving his daughter, took all that time to sit there and, and hold his phone and write out the entirety of Psalm 27. And I said, how cool. I said, you better remember what stud you wrote it on so you can tell her there it is. Like, I promise you it's right there. And you can come back to this place and know that it's there. I had another uh, person who came in, and, and she's a grandparent, and she said, today's my birthday. And so for my birthday, I had all my grandkids send me their favorite scripture. And so she took 15 studs in one part of the building and wrote a scripture from each grandchild on there. 15 grandkids. That's a lot of grandkids, I know. But she was serving her family and allowing the Word of God to be present in that gym. And all those families that came were serving this school and the families of this school as they put the word of God in the foundation of this gym and as they prayed over the things that are going to be taking place in there and the kids who will be coming through those doors and the discipleship that will happen on those athletic courts and the, the prayers that will take place in those, uh, in those dressing rooms and all those things and as they just poured out and put this gym in the hands of the Father, they were able to serve the kingdom and those who are in this school by living within that freedom. He says it is for freedom. It is for freedom from these things that you have been set free. That in that freedom you may love one another. That's what we do with it. It's one thing to have it, but it's another to apply it. He says, that's, that's what you are called to do with the freedom which you find in Christ and the cross of Christ because it is enough. And when we sin here at the foot of the cross, we are all equal, right? All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. None is righteous, not even one, but yet while we were still sinners, Christ died. And if you don't know that freedom, if that's where you need to begin, then today could be that day for you. There's nothing else you have to do but come to the foot of the cross and say, Jesus, I repent. Thank you for this gift because I couldn't do it on my own. 
If you've already taken that step, then this is the freedom that is offered to you. You are no longer bound to the things of this earth and to sin. That you can choose to live freely within those parameters that God has given you. And in so doing, love your neighbor as yourself. And in so doing, serve the kingdom of God. And it may expand in this place and others may be added to the numbers to worship Him. And when we have that freedom, the final piece, as we saw Paul doing, is that we must guard that freedom from the outside influences that would want to distract us and to take away from our worship and from our witness. We must live as servants unto Christ, serving one another, serving our neighborhoods, our jobs, our hobbies, our friends, the places that God has called you and put you is not by accident. There's purpose, kingdom purpose, behind those things. As you live your freedom in that place, the light of the world will shine. The darkness may be dispelled and the gospel may prevail. So we live as servants unto Christ, free from bondage of sin and law, but bound to the love as he has first loved us, for God and for one another. Father, we thank you for this morning. Thank you for the gift of freedom that you bestowed upon us as your sons and daughters. Freedom from the law of sin and death. And into life. To worship you. May we guard that and may we, Holy Spirit, may you come and, and work on us in that and how we can do that better for your kingdom, Father. May we love one another as you first loved us. And may we give you the glory as we continue in worship this morning now through our giving and as we go forward from this place into our lives to live out that freedom for your glory. In Jesus' name.